Okay, good morning everyone. Good to see you all. Can you come and grab your seats? If you've not met me, my name is Stuart. I'm the leader of the church here. Very warm welcome to you. Just before we jump in today, a couple of um, bits of information. First one, um, for my family. Um, some of you all know I've not been well since Christmas. I had drugs this week. <laughs> I went to the doctors Monday. Um, they listened to my chest. Uh, they prescribed me some drugs. I think it was called oxymoron or something. But they, they gave me that. They've signed me up for a chest x-ray to check I have a heart and everything's still working inside. But I am feeling better. I'm still not 100%. Um, but thank you for those who've been praying for me. But just to make matters worse, my wife is not here today because my youngest son, Asher, I think has got what I've got. And he sounds terrible when he coughs. He sounds like a 20-a-day smoker. And so Melanie is at home with him, so please pray for him. Please pray for her, because she's fit and well, and has been fit and well for weeks, and having to deal with the plague in her house, um, she is just doing her nut. So she would so want to be here with you, but I'm preaching, so I was here. Um, so please pray uh, for them um, and our family that hopefully we'll all get. We haven't been well in 2023 yet as a family, so we'd love to make it to do that. Uh, second thing is a book. I've got a book I'd love to recommend to you today. Um, this one is called Surprised by Jesus. Uh, it's about the subversive grace in the four Gospels. I was given it for Christmas. It came in my stocking uh, from my wife, and it is an outstanding But I love books about Jesus. And this is a book. It's got four sections going through the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it just looks at Jesus and how the grace of God has been revealed through him to us. And the section on Mark is particularly relevant because we're preaching through Mark's Gospel now. So that was fantastic to read that. But all the others were amazing as well. So if you want a book that will open your heart to Jesus more, make you fall in love with him more, make you more aware of him and what he's done, and just open up your eyes so the Gospels are fresh. I don't know if you're reading them at the beginning of the year or whatever. If you're reading through Mark, please come. Uh, please read this book. I've got four copies here. Uh, they're free. If you want a copy, come and grab it. Um, but they are outstanding. If you want a copy and you don't get one, uh, talk to us, and we can order you a copy for those. Text me, Claire, and we'll get you a copy. All right? Okay. Let's get into, if you've got a Bible, can you find Mark chapter 7? We're going to be looking at that um, this morning. Now, we've been through a season not too long ago, the COVID season, do you remember that? Yeah, lockdown. One of the things that came out of that was we had to wash our hands. Do you remember that? you remember the mantra? You must wash your hands. You must. That was it. That was going to combat the spread of this horrible virus that was going around the world. You had to wash your hands. And do you remember... How long you had to wash your hands for? What was the song? You had to sing happy birthday to yourself or to someone else while you washed your hands. And that was the allotted time. And it became this mantra that, you had, that was just everywhere. Wash your hands, wash your hands. If you were around small children, you found yourself yelling at them. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. And can we be honest? Did it have any effect? Marginal. Marginal. We're still doing it today. Wash your hands, please. Wash your hands to hygiene and stuff. But this, this message came loud and clear that that's what we are to do. But unfortunately, it didn't seem to have, in my observation, a huge amount of effect. And what we're going to be looking at today is this same idea where when things come on the outside 
and they keep telling you to do things, they don't often, if ever, have a transformative effect on your life. And we've been studying the Gospel of Mark. We've got to Mark chapter 7 today, a little bit of recap where we've been the last few weeks. Um, We saw at the beginning of chapter 6 how Jesus has come and he is the new leader. He has come to bring in a kingdom, to bring God's people into this new kingdom. And Mark has presented him as the new Moses, bringing a new exodus, not from the Egypt, out of slavery there, but from out of slavery to sin and death. He has called people to repent and put their faith and trust in him. He sent out the twelve representing the 12 tribes, and they were told to take nothing with them, like the Israelites as they left Egypt, and they went out and proclaimed the gospel, healed the sick, and did those things. But then Jesus also showed us that actually the reality of following him results in suffering and death, because we have John's murder in there, John the Baptist gets murdered, and then we have Jesus feeding the 5,000 in the wilderness, like a new Moses, providing sustenance for his people there who had nothing and they were satisfied and then we see Jesus walking on water he comes to the 12 disciples and who does he reveal himself to as I am the same one who was revealed to Moses in the burning bush Jesus is saying I am that one Mark is showing us to this so Jesus has come as from God but is also God and he is to lead God's people out of their slavery into new freedom in him and so what we're looking at now is the final section of this little bit where Jesus has been speaking to God's people, the Jews, and communicating the new truth to them. And what we'll see in the following section is he then moves on to his message to the non-Jews, the Gentiles. So if you found Mark chapter 7, we're going to read it. Jeremy, are you ready? We're going to have it on the screen behind. Please listen out. Some wonderful people are going to read it to us. Here we go. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem... They saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as is written? This people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commands of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honour your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or mother, Whatever you would have given from me is korban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God and by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? 
Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Fantastic. Thank you very much, those who read. Okay, big idea for this morning is Jesus is the only one who can bring the necessary transformation to our lives. Jesus is the only one who can bring the necessary inner transformation into our lives. Yelling, wash your hands, won't work, won't cut it. Now, what we have in this section here is we have an opposition of the Pharisees. It's the longest, uh, what we would call, conflict speech in the Gospel of Mark, where Jesus is saying something and he's being opposed by someone else and he's trying to explain it, which points to his um, it points to its importance in the text. And this follows on from what we've been looking through with Jesus coming as this new Moses. And one of the things that Moses is most closely associated with is the giving of the law of God, the word of God. And so this is about the law of God, the word of God, and Jesus trying to present what the true intent of the law was, what the true meaning of the law, and how it has been twisted in his day and actually, the law doesn't bring transformation. More rules don't bring transformation. Jesus is the one who can only bring inner transformation in people's lives. So let's go through this section by section. Well, first one, we look at first five verses, the accusation. So what we have, the Pharisees have returned. We saw them in chapter 3, and they were described, the but it's the Pharisees who take center stage. They've come down from Jerusalem, which was the religious center, so where everything was happening, where the temple was, the worship of God, all the ceremonies, the sacrifices happened there. And probably due to Jesus' popularity, because he's been preaching, crowds have come to him, he sent the disciples out, people have come to them, people have been healed. They're coming down to investigate. And the Pharisees were super devout religious people who had a zeal for God and a zeal for his law. And so they come down and they want to know why Jesus' disciples are not washing their hands. They're not washing their hands. And there's two points here that Jesus and the Pharisees differ on, and we'll go through them. The first one is this whole area of being defiled or unclean. Depending on your translation, it will probably say one of those words about being defiled or unclean. And it comes up, if you check this passage, it comes up about six times in the passage, this same idea. And what this idea was, it wasn't to do with sin. It was to do with ceremonial purity to approach God. When we did the sermon series on Leviticus into his presence, and we went through the whole book of Leviticus, it dealt with that in there, that there was you could be clean and unclean before God. God set the standards. God said what was clean and what was unclean. And if you were unclean, you could do things to become clean. And it was about ritual purity to approach God, particularly relevant for the priests who ministered in the tabernacle and responsible for the sacrifices. So that's what the issue is about. Now, according to the law, meaning God's word, finding Exodus and Leviticus, it was only the priests who had to do this hand washing. They were the ones who were responsible because they were the ones um, who were ministering in the tabernacle toward the presence of God. And actually for people to do it, it was only on very limited circumstances. But what happened is during the period of the exile, 
where the people of God had come out of Egypt, they'd settled in the promised land, and through repeated failures and sins, they'd been taken over. The kingdom had been destroyed. They'd been taken off into exiles. Then under Nehemiah, they'd come back, reestablished the kingdom, um, and reestablished the temple and what was happening there. But then, of course, the Romans come in, and they're the current occupiers. So we have this Gentile incursion and presence on the people of God. And in response to that... The Pharisees, in their zeal for God's law, made more and more rules to try and protect God's law and protect God's people. So you had the law of God, which we can read in our Bibles, but then what they had done is they added more things, saying, well, there's got to be, you've got to wash hands before you have a meal to make sure you're pure. And if the meal was a particularly lengthy one, you might have to wash your hands multiple times during the meal to make sure that your ceremony will clean. It says in the text that if you come back from the marketplace, Because in the marketplace, you might mix with Gentiles, non-Jews, or you might mix with other people who are unclean. You wouldn't know, so you've got to make sure you wash when you come back from the marketplace. And this is also your utensils and the dining couch. That needs to be washed in case you transfer it, because if I'm unclean and I touch it, that becomes unclean. So you've got to make sure everything's washed. And that's what they're telling the Jews. And Jesus Jesus is not on board with that. And the second thing is the tradition of the elders, which comes up multiple times in this passage. It says, tradition of the elders or your traditions. And what this was, was a body of teaching that had grown up over the years, over the generations, and it was designed to act as a fence around God's law. So you had the law of God, this is what the law says, and then out of that, people will ask, well, what does that mean? How do I apply it? And a body of teaching would grow up around that, and that acts as a fence. Well, if you did that, then you won't break the law. But the problem was that with that is that the Pharisees then believed the, the tradition of the elders, this oral law, was then on a level with God's word. So you've now got problems. We're actually these traditions of men, these kind of teachings that have come out, that's now on a level with God's word. That's as authoritative as the word of God. So if the word of God says something and the traditions of the elders says something, they're suddenly on a par with each other. And so what we've got is they're saying, your disciples aren't washing your hand, which you cannot justify from the Old Testament. You can't justify from the law. And so what they're saying is actually you're breaking the traditions of the elders, and that's bad. You can't do that because that's on a level with like breaking God's law. And so that's what the accusation is. That's what the Pharisees are coming. They're basically accusing the disciples, Jesus' disciples, of breaking their traditions. And that's bad. And they, they come with an accusation saying, what you're doing is wrong, or what your disciples are doing is wrong. And so what they've done is they've added to God's law, and they're using it like God's law. And so how does Jesus respond? So we get to his response starting in verse 6. And if you, if you were following the text, his response isn't, we wouldn't define it as a happy one. You know, it's like it says, first he goes to prophets, he says, I'm going to quote Isaiah, one of the big prophets from our Old Testament. And he's saying, Isaiah was talking about you. Hypocrites, he says. And the hypocrite was a, a theatrical term, because back then when, when the... Um, the Greek plays were playing, they, they would wear masks. That's how the characters, you'd know the characters because they have a different mask on. And it's, so it's someone who's acting a role, but they're not actually that role themselves. He's saying, you're like that, you're a hypocrite. You're wearing the mask. He quotes Isaiah 29, 13. And he says, you've got noble sentiments, but it's divorced from your heart attitudes. Says, your lips say one thing, but your hearts are, for, are far from me. And what you're doing is you're teaching the commandments of men 
as if they are the commandments of God. And Jesus is not having that. He's not having put man-made things on a level or even above the word of God because that's idolatry. If you put man-made things in God's place and you worship them, that is just idolatry. God stands above everything. He's the only one who's worthy of our worship. And his word stands above everything. You cannot replace his law or add to his law or put things on a par with his law. It stands alone. And Jesus is trying to say he's not having that. He's not having the law distorted. He's not having the law perverted. And he wants them to bring back to understand what the law was there for and why it was there. And he describes it. He says, they're your traditions. And he says at the end, you are actually rejecting, verse 9, the commandment of God. Your traditions, your, your, addi- your additions, the things that you hold to have superseded God's word to a point where you're actually rejecting the word of God. That's his response to them. And one way you could then go for that is like, well, okay then, prove it to me. That would probably be a fair response. So Jesus doesn't even draw breath. He gives an example, verses 10 to 13. And he says, for Moses says, honor your father and mother. You should recognize that. We did a sermon series on the Ten Commandments. That's commandment number five. Honor your father and mother. And it says elsewhere, whoever reviles his father and mother just surely dies. So there's a principle in God's word that we honor our parents. And we looked at that when we did the series and all the implications and the applications of that. But, he says, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything. What's he talking about here? Korban was uh, it's a word from the Hebrew word for offering. And what could happen was... Someone could designate a particular good property wealth as korban, as dedicated to God. And our modern equivalent would be something like having a will and saying, on my death I will give something to charity. Think about it like that. What that means is that you have complete control and rights over it in the moment, but at some point it will transfer to someone else. So you maintain control of it can gain the interest and everything from it, but actually, ultimately, it will go to someone else. And you can do that with God and say, well, we'll give that to God. But what it means is, what they were doing was, there was no health care, there was no pension system. When you got old and frail, the only way that you survived was that your kids looked after you. That's the way it worked. So your children, you've raised them, you've looked after them. When you get old, they've grown up, they then look after you. But there was now a loophole. Because if you designated something as Corban, you say, sorry, mum, sorry, dad, can't look after you, because that's been dedicated to God. So I can't use that to serve you, sorry. And so what we had people with um, evil intent, basically not following God's word, which is to honour and care for their parents, because they were just saying, oh, it's dedicated to God, but they could keep it and use it. But actually one day, I oh, will give it to God. And so they were voiding the word of God with their traditions. And so what we've got is this situation where God's word is now being overruled by this tradition of the elders, this man's thing. And what made it even worse, if someone did say, well, this is Corban, I'm not going to use it to care for my parents, but then had a change of heart. They then had to pay a fine to release that back to them so they could pay for their parents. So the tradition was then actually putting a penalty notice on them, which made it even harder to follow God's law. Can you understand why Jesus was annoyed? And then it's got at the end, this, the catch-all bit at the end, it says, and many such things you do. Jesus gave them one concrete example. Your traditions are voiding God's word, and there are lots of them. 
I've just given you one. And so that is Jesus' response. No wonder he was not happy. And then he tells a parable, verse 14 to 23. And he called the people again. So he's, the Pharisees have come and given this kind of false accusation. Why, you, know, you should be washing your hand. He's saying, no, that's a tradition of the elders. That's not God's law. And here you go. Let me tell you how bad your traditions are. They're avoiding God's law. And then he says, here's a parable. Let me explain to you. And he says, there's nothing outside a person that can defile him, but it's the things that come out of a person that defile him. And so here's an appeal to the people, the crowds, everyone there. These are the ones Jesus has been teaching over the previous chapters. And it, it harks back to Mark chapter 4, which was the section on parables. And the key parable which began that section, which Hannah alluded to, was the parable of the... Sower. That was the mean one. And what was that all about? That was all about hearing and listening to how you heard the word of God. That's what you kept coming up, that same theme. Hear, listen, understand what I'm saying. And Jesus begins this, hear me, all of you. And he's trying to teach them again. And he uses this parable that actually it's not what's on, uh, what, it's not what comes in on the outside, the things that make you unclean. It's actually what's in there already and comes out, which what make you unclean. It's not a matter of washing hands or utensils or anything like that or who you come in contact with the marketplace. Uncleanliness is an intention of your heart, what's coming out from the inside. And then he goes into explaining. He says he entered the house and he left the people and his disciples were with him. And so this is, you see this in Jesus' pattern. He teaches the crowd with a parable and the disciples come later inside a house, a place of revelation, and say, Jesus... <laughs> What does that mean? Tell me about it. Explain it to me. And then Jesus, because they're the disciples, a little bit exasperated. Are you also without understanding? Do you not get it? And if we know anything about the disciples, we know that they're a little bit slow of heart, a little bit dull. Uh, we've seen their heart of heart last week. It says, do you not see that it's not what's outside a person that defiles him since it enters the heart and it's out the stomach? So it's basically whatever you eat comes out. That's not going to be the problem. Thus, he declared that all foods are unclean. little uh, editorial note there for the Gentile readers in Rome who are reading that. So if you want to enjoy a bacon sandwich, you can to the glory of God. Jesus, that's just Jesus putting it in there. That's okay because it's not about food and food laws. And actually, all that you eat, that, the, the issue of cleanliness is what is in your heart, what is there, what's coming out of that. And then what he does is he goes on to make a list. There's 12 things in that list and uh, the commentaries tell me that the, uh, the Greek in them, the first six are plural and the second six are singular. So the first six point to evil acts and the second six point to evil attitudes. So you've got evil acts, sexual immorality, everything outside heterosexual marriage, theft, murder, adultery, uh, coveting or greediness and wickedness. And then evil attitude, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. And basically there's a list that kind of covers a whole range of evil thoughts, attitudes, and resultant behavior. And they illustrate the parable that Jesus told a few verses earlier. And this is exactly what the tradition of the elders failed to address, these this extra bits that have been added to the law. The real problem isn't the outward purity, making sure you wash your hands, making sure you do that. The real problem is the problem inside the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart because all these things are contained in there and they come out. And the law highlights that. 
when we looked at the Ten Commandments, the, whole, the law points this out. The law shows us how much we've fallen and how bad we are truly and how desperately we need a saviour. And that is what Jesus came to do. That is why Jesus came to lead his people out of slavery, lead his people to freedom. And so Jesus is left there and he has told the Pharisees that what they're doing is they're trying to add things to God's law to try and make themselves acceptable to God. It's not going to work because what you're doing is you're actually perverting and obscuring and even rejecting God's word, the one that you're trying to follow. And it just doesn't work. And so human standards, human traditions have just led you down a path that does not work and will not result in the salvation you need. So what are we going to do with this? We've got three things to talk about that we can apply and finish with. First one, human efforts to get right with God are doomed to failure. Human efforts to get right with God are doomed to failure Yelling, wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands, just doesn't cut it. It just doesn't work. The the Pharisees were zealous for God. In one sense, they were the bad guys, but they weren't bad guys. They were trying to follow God. They were just doing it the wrong way and failing miserably and taking others down with it. Their effort had totally missed the point. They couldn't see that their outward activity failed to deal with the inward problem, which was a hard and sinful heart, which is what Jesus had been pointing out. He said it to his disciples and others. That was the problem. The problem is your heart. And no amount of external activity and things you add can deal with that. Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote much of our New Testament wrote things like this. He said, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. That is all of us. We've all failed. We cannot follow God's law. Paul says in Philippians 3 that all his righteous acts are counted nothing before God. And he had done so many good ones. He said in Ephesians 2, You are all dead in your trespasses and sins. Paul was a Pharisee. And he was the most devout and zealous of all Pharisees. And what happened to him? He ended up murdering Christians. Hardly, hardly a great way to get right with God by murdering his followers. And we see this behavior all around us. And we are also guilty of it in one form or another. We try to do things to earn God's favor to earn salvation. Now, some people wouldn't say it like that, but we just have to look around and see. We see people trying to earn their salvation through recycling, through environmental issues. If I'm good to the planet, I'll be a good person, everything. Through political causes, through being a good person, by keeping your marriage going, by raising your children, all these things, by serving in the community. If I do that, by getting involved in social action projects, then I'll I'll be all right with God. God will look on me okay. People, things will be all right. It'll turn out all right. And all you're doing is trying to add things to what God has said. God has said. And if we stand and stare at God's law, we stand and stare at the Ten Commandments, we suddenly realize how much we have failed and how far short we have fallen. And the fact that they are meaningless in trying to save us from a holy God. They might be good in and of themselves, but in trying to get us right with a holy God because they do not deal with a sinful heart. 
that is opposed to him and we are all guilty of. We all fall short of God's standards. We all fall short of our own standards, let alone God's. What is it? Feb- uh, January 29th. You know, we've probably all broken our New Year's resolutions already, haven't we? Because we just we set these standards, we can't even meet them. We just fall short constantly. And so our human efforts just don't work. Number two, only Jesus can bring inner transformation. Only Jesus can break the change in heart that is required. Only Jesus can bring the dead to life. Only Jesus can forgive the guilty. Only Jesus can replace a hard heart for a soft heart. Only Jesus can cause us to be born again. And how does this happen? Well, Jesus was who he said he was. He is God the Son, come to earth. He lived a perfect life. He died a death on the cross in our place for our sin. He ushered in the kingdom of God where there is new life and new hope. And anyone who turns to him, repents of their sins, put their faith and trust in him, will have eternal life. Not just in the future, but beginning now. A transformed life. And Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to be with us, to bring new character into us, to develop that and grow that. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus for yourself, I want to offer you the opportunity to come to know Jesus for yourself because he's the only one who can bring that. You trying to earn your way to God just won't work. You will be crushed under your own efforts and your own standards, which you will just fail it again and again, let alone God's standards. And so Jesus is the only one who can bring hope and life to you. Third one. A transformed life leads to transformed behavior. Now, the great news is, if you are a Christian here, you have been transformed. Paul writes to the Corinthians. He says, if if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. And with this new creation comes a new heart and a new desire. If you have turned to Jesus and you have put your faith and trust in him, you have been declared not guilty. Your sins have been dealt with. The price has been paid. You have been made righteous before God. You've been adopted into his family. You've been given a hope and a purpose in this life now and into the future. You've been filled with the Holy Spirit that you may walk with him. You may serve him. Our fundamental nature and character has been changed. Here's the thing. We now want to wash our hands. Rather than being yelled at, wash your hands, We go in and say, we want to wash our hands. We want to be right before God. We want to follow him and do what he's asked us to do. It's not based on external rules. It's based on an internal desire. As Christians, we have been transformed, which means we have an increased love for God's word and prayer. We don't have to be told to read our Bibles. We get to do it. We get to hear about what God has done and how he's leading us and his great plan for salvation of all people and the redemption of all creation. We get to talk to him as our Father in heaven. We get to go to him daily wherever we are and say, Father, I need help with this. I need you to move in this situation. We get to praise him and worship him. We have an increased desire to be with God's people. And so our inner heart is now, I've now been saved and been added to the company of the redeemed. 
There are men and women who've been just like me, who were sinners, who were far from God, who've been saved by grace, and I get to journey with them in this life. I get to gather with them. I get to celebrate all the wonderful things God has done. I get to sing his praises, hear his word proclaimed. I get to live alongside them and grow together. What wonderful news that is. I have a passion to serve others and tell them about Jesus because I see all that he's done for me. I see all the amazing things he's done for me, and I want to tell others. I want to tell others what he's done in my life. I want them to experience what I've experienced. No one's yelling at me. Bite them to Alpha. I want to because I want them to know Jesus. I want them to know what's happened in my life so they can have it too. I have an increased hatred for sin and love for holiness. Why? Because my father is holy, and I want to be like him. I want to flee from the things of this world the things that he hates, the things he doesn't like. I want to pursue holiness in his life. I want to increase in godly character. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, and self-control will grow in me, and I will pursue them because that is evidence of the Spirit of God in my life that I am daily filled with. And I'll live with an increased sense of God's presence in my life because he is with me always. And he said, I'll never leave you. And I'll never forsake you. And I'll be with you to the very end of the age. And so with this inner transformation, what comes is transformed behavior. And not because we put more rules on, but because God has been at work in our lives. And church, today as believers, we need to look in the face of the truth and choose to believe it. The truth is... If you're a Christian here, you have been saved by grace. You have been born again. You have been transformed. You are a new creation. You are righteous and holy. And you have an option now is are you going to believe it? Because if you have the truth and you choose to believe the truth, then that will manifest in your behavior and how you do it. If you do it the other way around, you try and start, if you try and start with behavior and work your way back, it just will kill you. Start with the truth. That's why we always start with singing it. We need the truth. We need to be reminded. It's a firm foundation on which I'm standing. He is the beautiful one. I'm going to worship him. And I'm going to choose to engage with that. And then that, then that affects my behavior. affects how I treat people. affects how I come to God. And so we're going to end now. And I just want to pray for us as the people of God that we will be men and women who engage with God, who love God, who believe his truth, who live transformed life, who, try, who stop trying to earn our way to God. Do you want to stand? I'm going to pray for us. Can the band come up? And then we're going to sing. I think we'll start with, we'll start with repentance. It's always the best place to start. We'll start with repentance, where we've tried, where we've tried to add things to what God has done, or we've tried to live our life. If, if I do this, then God will accept me. If I do this, God will accept me. I'll be better if I do this, when actually that's just the wrong way around. You already are accepted. You already are saved. You already are welcomed. You already are as loved as you can ever be loved. And then we'll start from there, and then we'll ask God to transform us so that out of that, we serve him and we seek to worship him. All right? So do you want to close your eyes? Do you want to hold out your hands maybe? Holy Spirit of God, I pray you come fill your people now that they might know your presence here. Lord God, where we know where we've tried to 
add things to your law to make ourselves acceptable to you. God, we ask just forgive us. Lord, we recognize the futility of that. And we also take on board the anger of Christ towards those who would do that. Lord, forgive us. We thought if we do this, then God will love us. If we do this, God will accept us more, God. We thank you that we are just accepted by you, that we are just loved by you. We thank you that we have been transformed by you. We are no longer the same. We might look the same, older, grayer, saggier, but still the same. But inside, we have been transformed completely. What was dead is now alive. And we choose to believe that. We are now alive in you. Even though this mortal body is wasting away, we are being transformed internally from one degree of glory to another. And that is wonderful, Lord. We thank you that you are using circumstances of life to transform us into your image. We thank you that you're using your word to transform us into your image. We thank you that your spirit fills us to transform us into your image, Lord Jesus. And we pray, God, you'd fill us now. We choose to believe the truth of who you are and what you've done and that you're acting in our lives, God. And we pray, God, that would affect our behavior, that it would be an outworking of revelation of who you are, of your love poured out on us, your joy given to us, your heart on us. Lord God, we pray we would love your word. We would love talking to you. We'd love your people. We'd love those outside, love the lost, our colleagues, our classmates, our teachers, our friends, our neighbors, that we would love them and serve them for your glory. And we would do all we can just to communicate your wonderful goodness and grace to them. And God's people said, amen, amen.